Okay, happening any moment on this Thursday afternoon, set to be tabled at Queen's Park, a bill that the Ontario government claims will reform standards in the province's long-term care sector, which of course was a hit and hit hard during the pandemic. And for more on this, let's welcome back to the show, Dr. Ahmed Arya, palliative care physician with a specialization in long-term care. Dr. Arya, nice to have you back with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Most of these reforms that we understand center around PSWs, personal support workers. Is that correct? Yeah, that's part of it. Um, they're also introducing, um, I guess, one of the key, pe- you know, you know, key pieces of this reform bill is they're going to increase the fines for uh, offenses under the Long-Term Care Act. Uh, you know, uh, increase financial penalties. Uh, you know, sort of with the guise of increasing, uh, you know, accountability. All right. When we talk about the fines and increasing of fines, are they, in your estimation, enough? Will this lead to a serious reform, particularly in for-profit long-term cares, do you believe? Um, so fundamentally, I have a problem with, you know, the government fining a long-term care facilities uh, without making other fixes. And, you know, the reason for that, uh, Jeff, is because, you know, this is not like finding, you know, like a business like Amazon or like finding a restaurant for violating health and safety rules. All of these facilities, regardless of whether they're for-profit, not-for-profit or municipal, are actually funded and subsidized by the government itself. So why is the government actually finding long-term care facilities without fixing many of the underlying problems in long-term care, which, of course, should start by ending for-profit long-term care, by increasing staffing and education? Those things should come first before just increasing fines. If fines are not the answer, and I think you just mentioned a few things there that uh, might be, but is that more of a long-term solution? And as uh, you and I uh, both well know, and uh, you've seen this uh, firsthand, we've been reporting on it uh, since the beginning of the uh, pandemic in particular, that we need to, some uh, short-term answers here as well. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, like, I, I, like once again, I will say the fines are reactive. They're often after damage has already occurred in these long-term care facilities. And, you know, there's much bigger issues that are in uh, long-term care, which need to be addressed. So, I mean, we know that other provinces have acted to hire more staff in long-term care facilities, uh, even during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, very little uh, you know, of this or almost none was done in Ontario, unfortunately. And in fact, just this year, they've agreed to increase staffing levels by 15 minutes in long-term care when People are getting, I guess, at least 30 or 40 percent less in terms of the hours of direct hands-on care per day. Uh, The commitment to increase the staffing levels is also very suspect. Uh, I can tell you very quickly why. It's because, um, you know, they are committing to an average of four hours of direct hands-on care per day. And everyone says that that's the minimum. I mean, for anyone who looks after someone, uh, you know, a loved one with long-term care, they'll tell you four hours is nothing. And I absolutely agree. We need to have five or six hours available. And four should just be the bare minimum. So an average doesn't cut it. Secondly, they're committing to that four to five years from now when the life expectancy of people in long-term care is just 18 months. So what they're saying is that, well, it's okay to neglect the people in long-term care today who are alive, and we should not be providing them good care. So this is a direct policy choice of this government. And the third thing I can tell you, or the final thing, is that, well, we need to make sure we have enough skilled staff in these long-term care facilities. The care is very complex. There's a lot of acuity. And uh, experts have said that we need about 50% of these staff we're hiring to be nurses. And hiring nurses, of course, costs more money than hiring PSWs. Of course, I love PSWs, and I greatly value the work they do but we need to hire more nurses but this government is not committing to that they're de-skilling the workforce by not hiring enough nurses and all of these things need to be addressed along with fines 
Okay, when it comes to uh, PSWs, personal uh, support workers, we know that they've had uh, a couple of uh, emergency uh, wage increases, uh, but is that enough? Uh, Does the government need to commit to just a permanent wage increase? Would that attract more workers to the sector, uh, more badly needed workers? Yep, absolutely. Um, It it, it would. Um, Back in July, uh, the premier actually promised, uh, you know, a permanent uh, wage uh, increase for PSWs and said it was a guarantee. But unfortunately, today we heard that they're now getting their fifth extension of the wage increase. And, you know, for many PSWs that I speak to, they're trying to pay their rent. They're trying to pay their grocery bills. They're struggling to make a living and sort of just string them along temporarily, of course, uh, makes it worse. I mean, who would want to work as a PSW? And then on top of that, it's not just about wage increases, but it's about giving people permanent jobs, uh, jobs that are at a single long-term care facility. So they really get to know the residents rather than moving between multiple long-term care facilities, ending agency work, providing people benefits. I mean, those are the things we should and can be doing right now. Uh, but for some reason, this government is uh, refusing to make those policy choices. Yeah. How is the workforce in long-term care overall right now, Dr. Arya? We talk often about our healthcare heroes and the burnout and the fatigue, particularly in ICUs and hospitals, but uh, how is it amongst uh, personal support workers, PSWs, inside long-term care as of today, right now? Yep. Well, uh, unfortunately, the issues that we talked about where, you know, working conditions are not good. And I'll add to that, that we're still hearing from PSWs that they're not provided enough PPE, such as N95 masks. And that's directly based on a directive from the government uh, itself. Um, um, You know, that all adds to burnout and it adds to fatigue. It adds to people leaving the long term care sector. And sadly, short staffing um, sort of just is a vicious cycle where when you're working short, you're obviously overworked. And I remember just recently I was talking to a PSW in long-term care who started work at 6 in the morning and then um, was still there at 7 p.m. And this is obviously very heavy work, uh, which requires a lot of love and care as well. But they were there at 7 p.m. because they were worried that if they didn't stay even later, they would be two of their residents whom they cared for deeply, who, whom they cared for deeply, who actually wouldn't get a shower over, you know, for the next two weeks. So this is how bad the situation is in long-term care. This is a humanitarian crisis today. And the government, of course, should have done more during COVID-19. They can do more now. And a key part of that is improving working conditions. Because even if we're putting all this money into staffing and the working conditions are bad, we're going to have a constant revolving door of health workers again. Joined on the line by Dr. Ahmed Arya. We're talking about this uh, reform bill being tabled by the Ontario government at Queen's Park uh, this afternoon, which they say will reform standards in the province's long-term care sector. Dr. Arya, I also wanted to talk to you about the uh, government aiming to double the number of long-term care inspectors. Do you think that that will allow for some uh, immediate uh, change and a little more, I guess, accountability in long-term care? Yep. So I absolutely agree that accountability is very important. And I think that the first step, sorry, I meant talking from a hospital where I work and there's a loud announcement. Okay, now it's done. Thank you. Thank you for your patience. So, um, yeah, I absolutely agree that accountability is something that's seriously in question along with transparency. Uh, But for me, what that what that entails is that they should introduce back comprehensive uh, resident quality improvement inspections, RQI inspections, which were actually in place uh, before the pandemic. And then, you know, the government actually rolled them back and created these more uh, reactive inspections, which were complaint based. 
And right now, I mean, those, you know, those inspections were very comprehensive where they were interview staff, they would interview residents and families, they would look at infection control procedures. And now we're not hearing of that same wording. We're hearing that once again, these proactive inspections will happen. And, um, you know, so they need to go back to what was working before and what was already there. But as I've said before, when we talk about inspections, we talk about enforcement, we talk about fines, uh, all those things need to come along with actually fixing the underlying problems in the long-term care facilities. This is actually a system which has been enabled and propagated by our government itself. So the government is inspecting their own failed system. And that, to me, is you know, fundamentally at the crux of what we're talking about. I got less than a minute, but I want to end on this. Uh, thankfully, we're no longer hearing about a great number of deaths in long-term care. One would think that's uh, thanks to the uh, vaccines, but uh, should we be careful not to mix that up with the, that the crisis in long-term care uh, is over and everything now is just fine? Yeah, so absolutely. I think that's a great question, Jeff. You know, um, long-term care, sadly, is still very much so in a crisis. Um, when I'm trying to care for my patients and speak to my families, uh, you know, that I also care for very much so, uh, this is what I see in here. People are waiting, uh, you know, in the middle of the night because no one is there to take them to the bathroom. Their pain is not well managed. Um, there's not very much oversight and support. And what's very alarming is that, well, here the government is claiming more accountability and oversight, but actually uh, in terms of the new long long-term care facilities which are going to be built, um, 64% of them, 64% of them are going to go to for-profit long-term care companies, which where we clearly know that the quality of care is less. And once again, as the taxpayer, we are actually subsidizing the shareholder profits in these facilities. So that's absolutely wrong and unacceptable. Dr. Amadaria, doctor, always appreciate your voice on this and thanks so much for the time this afternoon. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. You bet. Back after break here on Global News Radio. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.